So we're continuing on in our series, uh, the parables. Today we're going to do we're going to study a parable type illustration Jesus uses to describe how the majority of the Jewish people will ultimately reject God's offer of salvation. So the passage that we're going to deal with today is called the narrow door. Now I want to pick up with a verse. Uh, the last verse of a parable that I taught on uh, about a month ago, the parable of the wedding feast. And basically that, um, that parable was about the offer of salvation being open to all. But at the end of the parable, it says this in Matthew 22, 14, it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. So now someone in the crowd had a question that was probably spurred on by statements that Jesus made like this. Many are called, but few are chosen. And uh, so that's where we're going to pick up this morning in Luke 13, verse 22. It says this, Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, those who are saved will be few. So he's asking a question. Will those who are saved be few? So now this person had an honest question. Maybe you and I have these questions sometimes, or maybe we look around in life and we realize that as believers, we're kind of a minority. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like as a believer in Christ, we're kind of a minority. In fact, many of the people that we know and that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis are actually not believers. So it appears from our perspective that only a few are saved. So this person, doesn't say whether it was a man or woman, this person asked this question, Lord, so is it just a few that are going to be saved? So Jesus starts his answer, and it says this, and he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So this is an interesting answer. I didn't expect it. When I read this, and you know, I'm sure the people listening didn't expect an answer like this, and it can be actually somewhat confusing of an answer. So what I want to do is, if we're confused and we look at the answer, we have to break it down, each little segment of it. So I want to break it down. First, Jesus says, strive to enter. I'm going to put that on ice for a few minutes, okay? And I'm going to come back to that. But first, what I want to deal with is this concept of narrow door. He says, strive to enter the narrow door. So what is the narrow door? Well, Jesus spoke of the narrow nature of salvation in Matthew chapter 7 when he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And it says this, Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says this, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. But then he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So basically what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about the nature of the gospel message. The nature of the gospel message is it's a narrow message that many will reject, that many will reject and few will receive. We know the truth of the gospel message is that we are all sinners and we need a savior. That savior is Jesus. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, Jesus said to, to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So think about this. There are so many wrong ways but only one right way. 
You've heard me say this before. It's very narrow-minded, isn't it? Okay, it's very narrow-minded to believe like that, but the nature of truth is that it is narrow. So the narrow nature of salvation is the fact that the majority of people will reject or pursue something that is wrong in order to try to attain salvation. And only a minority will trust Jesus. See, the message, do you realize this? The message of Jesus is not exclusive. It's actually inclusive. The message of Jesus is inclusive, but what excludes people is their rejection of it. You get that? What excludes them, what makes the message exclusive when some people say, oh, that sounds like a very exclusive message. Well, it only, it's only exclusive ex if you exclude yourself. It's an inclusive message offered to all. But now let's get back to that first part. He says, strive to enter. You know what? At this point, I believe Jesus is specifically talking to the person that asked the question. We do not know who the person is, but we do know the question was not personal in nature but it was general. He was asking or she was asking about many people are, are, are only a few saved. Like what's going on here, Jesus? So here's what Jesus does. He personalizes the answer to that person. He says, you know, you have a question, but you have a responsibility. So he says this, strive to enter, strive to enter. That does not mean that if a person strives to enter, they're working for salvation because that would go against many other scriptures. But what Jesus is telling this person is, you are seeing what's going on. You are witnessing Jesus. It's basically like Jesus saying, you're witnessing me going around, healing people, doing miracles, preaching the kingdom. The message that Jesus is sending to this person and everyone else is this. It's your responsibility to respond to the message. Do you realize this? When you stand before God, you're either going to pass from this earth physically or Jesus is going to come back. And at that point, you will stand in judgment before God. And guess what? It's you and Jesus. Okay? There's nobody else there like in your corner like, but he did this or she said this or no, it's you and Jesus. And basically the questions or the answers that Jesus knows is what did you do with him? Like Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It's all of our responsibility. This is very personal. It's all of our responsibility to respond to what we know about Jesus. The narrow nature of the gospel. The fact that you are a sinner and you need a savior. And that Jesus is your savior. Do you trust that he died for you? Do you trust him for your salvation? It's your responsibility. But now the third thing Jesus addresses in his answer, he says this, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Now, I don't know about you, but that causes me to ask more questions. Wait, wait, people are going to seek to enter? They're going to seek salvation, but they're not going to be able to enter? What's going on here? Who are these people? What does this mean? And does this even sound fair now? If these people are trying, shouldn't God let them in? Well, the answer to that is not necessarily because they're focusing or trusting in the wrong thing. Okay, it's not enough to be sincere, okay? It's not enough to be sincere and say, oh, I was trying to do the right thing, 
But you know what? I, I, I rejected what was right, which, which is salvation through Jesus. But I'm trying to do these other things. So Jesus is most likely at this point, because this is what was going on culturally speaking, Jesus most likely at this point is talking about the religious leaders that were trying to please God, but rejecting the prophets and rejecting Jesus. Now, put it this way. You know people, and I know people that have rejected Jesus. You've talked to them about the Lord, and maybe they're not like mockers and like mean people or anything like that. You're just like, you know, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that he, you know, offers salvation to all who believe. And they're like, no, 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 that's good for you, but I'm not having that, okay? So essentially, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not like, I hate you, but they're, they're rejecting Jesus. Now, think about this for, for a minute. These religious people are doing all these things to please God, right? And then God himself comes on the scene. It's like, hey, guys, I'm here. And you might not recognize me right now because your focus is way off, but here I'm going to go heal people. I'm going to go eat with the sinners and, 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 and minister to them. And then these religious people that are trying to please God come and say, no, we don't like this guy. I think he gets his power from Satan. That's what they said about Jesus. So they were rejectors of Jesus. In fact, most of you realize this. They were the ones who got him delivered up to that Roman cross. Now, when they were being very religious, here's what they were doing. These are the people many will try to enter, but will not. Here's what they were doing. When they were doing the religious works, they were actually trusting in themselves. Now let's bring this to our culture, right? People will say things like, I'm spiritual. You know, sometimes when I hear that, I'm like, what does that even mean? Okay, what are you talking about? Like, you're spiritual. People will say, you know, I do good works. If there's a God in heaven, he's obviously going to notice how good I am, especially in comparison to other people around the world, right? So they're, they're thinking, you know, they're striving in some sense because, you know, they know there's something spiritual going on. So in some senses, they're striving, right? But when they reject Jesus, they can't enter. Now, people may worship other gods. They may be very sincere in that worship. But the one true God is not pleased with that. He does not look at that and say, well... You know, they are a pretty nice person, and they, they are really sincere in their worship. So I'm going to give them a bye week on this one. I'm, I'm just going to accept them, even though they reject me. He doesn't say that. He says, no, the door is narrow. Truth is narrow. Do you realize that? Truth is narrow. And guess what? People don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the narrow nature of truth. They don't want to hear that there is one way. Listen to Acts 4.12. Because this is nothing new. Paul was talking to the people, and he said this. Well, actually, not Paul was talking to people. Um, Peter. And, and he says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men of which we must be saved. You know what that's saying? That's saying Jesus is the only way to heaven. Each person, including the person asking the original question, has a response, has to respond, has a responsibility to respond. But sadly, many people 
will reject. You see, you and I, we all have a responsibility to respond, right? Maybe some of you have been coming here for many years. Maybe you grew up, maybe your parents brought you here, and you're like, yeah, this is what we do. We go to church, you know, like this is like, you know, we help out here and there, you know, with a little kid's BBS or something. And, you know, you just think like, okay, this is kind of like what we do. It's got to be very personal because you personally need to respond to Jesus. You personally need to respond to who he is and what he's done for you. Then after that, just like anything else, when you come here, you know how sometimes you come and, and you might like the message that day and you're like, oh, I hope my husband's listening or I hope my wife's listening or my kids need to hear this, right? Or my friend needs to hear this or I'm going to send this to them. And those are all fine and good. But when you sit here and you listen to God's word, you have to take responsibility in your own life and say, what do I need to do here? How do I need to respond? What is this saying to me today so that I can follow Jesus in a deeper way? So after explaining the narrow nature of salvation, he teaches about the results of rejection. And I will warn you, this is not a popular thing to talk about. It wasn't popular back then, and it's not popular now, but it is the truth. So he gives an example of what will happen at the end of a person's life if they reject it. It says this, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. So basically he paints this picture. Okay, this master of the house is like, okay, door is shutting. See, the open door represents the lifetime of a person. And in our lifetime, we have ample time to trust in Jesus. But at the point of physical death or Jesus coming back, the door is actually shut. Now, in this answer, he's not just talking about a normal rejector because he kind of goes on because he knew the audience, the crowd that he was speaking to. He's talking about the religious people that reject Jesus but are religious so they think that they're going to be accepted by God. Listen to what he says. And you, he's talking to this person that asked, began to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your, in your presence, and, we, and you taught in our streets. Well, then the question is like, who in the world are these people? Well, these are probably the religious people that believe their religious works will save them. See, this was one of the main groups that Jesus actually spoke out against because they were pious and religious. They thought they had it all together. They thought God would accept them. But in fact, the truth was they rejected God. Now listen to what Jesus says next. And this is where it gets tough. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. De depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. See, at this point, Jesus tells these people, that although they thought they knew God, they never did because they rejected Jesus. Because of their rejection, they would be eternally separated from God. And at this point, not a popular teaching. It wasn't at that time and it isn't now, but he's talking about hell. He's saying this is eternal separation from God. No one likes to hear about this. No one likes to think about this. I don't. 
I don't like to think about that, right? I don't like to think that there are souls that will be eternally separated from God. But it's taught in the scriptures. Jesus teaches about it. And it's the truth. And right here in this parable and many other places, Jesus teaches about this truth. I mean, think about this for a second. People that you and I know that don't know Jesus, what we believe that is true, they don't know Jesus, they're not going to be with Jesus. They're not going to be in heaven for eternity. I hope that wakes you up a little bit. I hope you realize that the reason why this church has been here for 40 some odd years is because we need to get that message out to people. It pains me to think that there's people that I know and love that have passed from this earth that are not with Jesus, to my knowledge. I mean, maybe they did trust in their final moments. I sure hope they did. But the truth is, many will reject. But see, rather than staying on the negative, here's what Jesus does. He shifts to the positive. And he tells us about his offer of salvation to all that believe. Listen to this. He says, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. See, the gospel is a worldwide message open to all people and it demands a personal response from each person. You get that? It's a worldwide message. You don't have to grow up in a certain country or be brought up in a certain family. It's a worldwide message open to all. The beautiful news of Jesus Christ is that he does not exclude anybody from the message. The sad truth is that people will exclude themselves by their own personal rejection. But we are called to be messengers of that beautiful news. You know, that last line says, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Jesus basically is, is commenting on what's going on with Israel's rejection. They thought they were going to be first. But when Jesus came on the scene, they rejected. So essentially, they're last. But then the Gentiles, who they thought were going to be last, became first. And this is a generalization, not saying all of Israel reject Jesus and all Gentiles accept, because we know that's not true, right? So we hear this teaching of the narrow door, and that door being shut, and if you're on the other side of that door, you're separated from God for eternity. It sounds harsh, sounds rigid, sounds narrow-minded, but it's true. But what do we need to remember when we see something like this? When we have like a passage that's so sobering and you're just like, there's really, there's no way around this one, right? I mean, I know, and I'm going to use the air quotes, there are some Christian churches that have tried to cancel out this type of teaching, canceling out hell. Oh, that doesn't sound nice. It's true, okay? So we have to believe what's true. If we're going to take the scriptures for truth, we have to believe what's true, right? But here's what we have to do. We have to remember the heart of God. Let me just tell you, first, he is still pursuing Israel, even in their rejection. So first, I love this verse. In Luke 13, 34 through 35, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent. Remember, think about this. 
when we think about rejection, like, oh man, that's the cost of rejection. Like, think about Jesus coming to this earth. Think about the prophets that were sent to Israel saying like, don't go that way. Listen to God, follow after God. And they're like, nah, we hate you. We're going to kill you. And then Jesus comes and they're like, we hate you too. And we're going to kill you. Think about that for a second. So this is what you, this, this is the heart of the God that we serve. He says, how often have I longed to gather your children together as hens gather her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. You see this parental love that God has for people? But notice the caveat here. I long to do this for you. What does it say? But you are not willing. It's like if you went up to your kid and you're like, give me a hug, and they wouldn't hug you. Think about how you'd feel as a parent, you know? Like, come on, kid. And they're like, no, no. You know, they, they won't hug you back. And that's basically what God's, that's the heart of God towards Israel. But not only that, God's heart is that way towards all people. Listen to what he says. This is the second. He desires all to come to him. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So now it's saying, here is God's desire for all people. He does not want you to be on the other side of that door. He does not want you to live in rejection. He does not want you to be on the other side of the door when he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from. He wants you to be inside. But it says, notice this, we have the responsibility, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance defined here is a change of mind about who Jesus is. It's an about face. It's basically saying, no, he is who he said he is. He is the savior. He is the one that died. He is the one that rose again. That's why we're here. That's what we believe. That's what this church was founded on. And that's the truth of the scriptures. So God does not intentionally separate people from himself for eternity. People have a responsibility to respond to who God is and what he has done. So God's heart is to actually save people. His heart is to have mercy and grace on us. He loves us as a parent loves their children, and he desires the best for us, which is trusting in him. And although the door is narrow, he wants us to come through. Now, this morning, we're going to observe communion. And it's really, if, you're, if, if you haven't walked through that narrow door, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you have no business taking part in communion. Okay? Because this is just juice and a wafer. But for the believer, this is symbolic of what Christ has done for us. On the fact that he had laid down his life for us, that he shed his blood for us, the fact that he died and he rose again. So it's a time for remembrance. And, and the truth be told is, as believers, we should be remembering this every single day. Think about this. If, imagine, imagine if your life, every day you woke up and you were praying, Lord, whoever crossed my path that doesn't know you, help me be a messenger of you. And I'm not saying be that annoying person that like, you know, okay, now everybody's going to hear it, captive audience. No, not that person. But you're going to be the person that prays, Lord, give me opportunities to talk to people in love. I know that some of the things that they might hear from me might not be popular, they might not agree with, but I know that I have a message from you 
that will communicate ultimate love that you died for them. You died for me. So as a believer, we should be remembering the gospel every single day. Secondly, here's what communion does. It gives us a time to kind of reevaluate. Maybe some of you are really pursuing some kind of sin. Maybe you're struggling with some kind of sin. So um, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about that. It says, you know, evaluate. Check your heart. Look at yourself and look at the sins that you're struggling with and put them at the foot of the cross. Let me just tell you, and I've told you this once and I'll tell you it a million times. You will not conquer sin in your life on your own. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. You can't conquer sin on your own. Jesus can help you do that. But you have to humble yourself and actually give the sin to him. You have to actually let him help you. So communion is a time to kind of restart and just say, hey, listen, you know what? Right here, right now, I'm going to turn my back on this. I'm going to give it to you. And you know what? The truth is, some sins we struggle with, right? We hate the fact that we're doing. We're like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 where he's like, I hate the fact that I do this, but I keep doing it. And if we're honest with ourselves, some sins we pursue, don't we? We like them. That's the temptation of sin. So if, if, if the struggle won, you say, you know, Jesus, I need victory. If it's the pursuing one, Jesus, I need a mind change here. I need a mind change. I can't continue to do this. I can't continue to live like this because I know you're not pleased with it. And although I still am saved and my eternal security is sure and we know that all to be true, I'm not walking the way that you desire me to walk. So communion is a time for you to get right with the Lord. So I'm going to give you a few moments of silence and then we'll partake together. Unlike Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the truth from your word. Lord, we're thankful that you've given us the opportunity to respond to you, to allow you to die for us the God of this universe, willing to pay the price for our sins. We're just thankful for that. We pray, Lord, that you would use us as messengers of your truth in this world. Lord, we know that every culture deals with its own cultural things and whether people are, are uh, accepting towards the message or rejecting it, it doesn't change what is true. So we're thankful for that. We're thankful, Lord, that you are a loving God who desires to save all people 
and gives us all an opportunity to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.